General Nerdery. Hey guys, welcome to General Nerdery. Uh, I really wanted a fun intro here, but to be honest, the world has gone to hell. We've talked about it for the last two weeks, and I could not think of anything fun. So, welcome to General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Uh, and we're your podcast about love and things. Um, we're kind of in unexplored territory here because we, for the first time, are not in the same room, like sitting across the table from each other while recording, uh, because social distancing. Yeah, this already feels really weird only seeing my waveform pop up on screen, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, uh, I'm sitting on my couch. The computer is a ways away. I'm looking at a microphone and just... Hoping everything goes really well. Uh, Yui, who edits for the Art of Wargaming here and there, helped set it up. So thank you, Yui. Uh, thank you, Yui. If this is, yeah, if this is a strange episode, we're sorry. We're in a strange time. Uh, that's true. So while thinking about the strange time and the fact that we're supposed to be all of us, all of you out there listening are supposed to be doing this social distancing Let's start with what have you been ingesting, since I'm sure that's what a lot of us have been doing. Yeah, uh, I got, I have two notable things for us. The first one is good. The second one is an experience. Okay. Uh, um, first one I'm going to go with, I just recently got a chance to read the entire 12 issue Jason Aaron uh, Conan the Barbarian run. Ooh. Which is the book he picked up, I believe, after he left Star Wars. So for a while, he was writing both Thor and Conan, which is an awesome combination of books to be writing. Mm -hmm. uh, with the covers were by Asad Ribic, who did the early part of his Thor run, like uh, the God Butcher. Oh, okay. And the the main art was by oh god, uh, the last name is Ezrar, and I don't remember the first name. Sorry, guy. You're really good. Uh, <laughs> it is. I was a little nervous about it because traditionally Conan stories that aren't based off an existing like Conan short story have a really mixed track record. It's, you know, I, I tend it's to really easy to do bad uh, sword and sandal shit. Yeah. Conan, when he's great, is amazing. But it goes downhill really fast. And Jason Aaron's a great writer, and he was a good choice for this, but I was still nervous. And also, this was, I think it's called, like, The Life and Death of Conan the Barbarian. Like, it's very much like, we're going to write a story about Conan dying. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, yeah. And it, it turns out how I feel is really fucking good. Okay. Um, I'm not going to give away anything in it because I really want people to read it. It is an excellent run it is a really strong launch to the marvel owning conan properties mm -hmm. which was another thing i wasn't like they had had conan for years but then dark horse has been running conan for the last like 15 20 years and they were doing great work and they were still doing great work when marvel reacquired the license so i was again kind of iffy of like oh like i hate to see one i hate to see dark horse lose another big property to marvel because they had just lost star wars a few years before mm-hmm but then I, I hate to see, like, a good book canceled. You know, I, the book that came out. Go ahead. I, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that it was Marvel putting it out uh, rather than Dark Horse. I just heard Conan, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, they've, they've done those runs in the past and stuff. That's cool. And then, oh, Dark shit, Horse that's right. Dark Horse can't catch a break lately. 
like Hellboy finished. They lost Star Wars. They lost Conan. Those were like their three biggest everythings. Yeah. Um, Poor Dark And I mean, they're doing okay. They're, they're not hurting, but that was definitely like that Star Wars money kept them afloat during some low times in the comic book world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's a very good book. I really enjoyed it. And then my next one is last week I mentioned that I'd been watching Walking with Dinosaurs, Walking with Prehistoric Beasts, Walking with Monsters. Right. Walking with a bunch of shit. Yeah, and we got to the last one. Everything which is walking but with walking Kate. with Jesus. You know, if they wanted to CGI Jesus and treat it like an animal <laughs> documentary, I'm sorry if that offends you. I would watch every second of that. Oh, that I would, would 100 kind of percent watch that. And then I would go right to hell. And I don't even know if I believe in that. Um, but this is Walking with Cavemen, which we found out after we started it is more of a spinoff than like part of the actual series because none of the original creators were involved. Oh, okay. And for bizarre reasons, instead of CGIing the whole thing, for the most part, it is men in costumes. Oh. So, like... How good of costumes. It really varies on the version of prehistoric man that we're talking about. Because it starts with, like, I think Australopithecus. But it starts with a very ape-like man and then the final one is like early Cro-Magnon man and Neanderthals. Uh, do any like of the Neand- do any of them look like Ringo Starr? No, and I am profoundly disappointed about that. <laughs> but like the Neanderthals and like the later the more human-looking ones were pretty good. Some of the early ones were some like Planet of the Ape bullshit. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, and then they have this this narrator guy who's like, you actually see him and he's walking around and he's talking about like time traveling. And I looked him up and he's an actual baron. Oh, in like British royalty, like Lord so-and-so. And he has the weirdest, like most imperialist, like if I kidnapped this baby or like, if I took this baby to the modern day and like just picks up this Cro-Magnon child and walks off with it. And you're like, Oh dude, don't do that. Whoa. <laughs> like that is, that is not okay. Um, and I really enjoyed watching it, but it's very strange and it's very determined that we're special because we have imagination and it totally only counts for imagination. If you're like drawing animals, it doesn't count. If you have figured out stuff like dropping boulders on mammoths. <laughs> uh, um, that sounds Actually, that sounds really entertaining. I might have to give that a shot. As I said, I had a lot of fun watching it. It was fucking bizarre. So this is... I I didn't know that with your ingesting, you were coming with some Jason Aaron, because I am, too, coming with some Jason Aaron. Here is my surprised face that you, of all people, have been reading Jason Aaron. Well, uh, this past week, uh, the trade for King Thor dropped. Yeah, I saw that at the store. That's um, that's the very end of his run, that's right? The... Like, he left after that. Yep, so I finally got to finish off the Jason Aaron Thor run, which I've been going through for the past, like, half a year or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is so good. Uh, so much different than what I was expecting, I guess. Although, in hindsight, maybe I should have expected it. I... This is crazy old, not crazy, but kind of crazy old man Thor with like the three daughters, granddaughters that's from like the very beginning of his run, right? Right, yeah. So King Thor is, yeah, I, old man Thor is 
millions and millions of years in the future uh, to the point where it's now called the Thor Force rather than the Odin Force because Thor's had it way longer than that old man ever did. Okay. Um, he's got one eye and the left arm of the Destroyer and uh, up until the King Thor had already done some really crazy shit, uh, including teaming up with uh, like current Thor and way before he was worthy Thor, like old Viking era Thor. Yeah. Viking era Thor rides a space shark and it was my favorite thing to happen in comics that year. Yeah. And so this all finishes it off. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so epic and mythic. And I don't want to get into too much specifics because I really want people because it's it's really new and I want people to, you know, not be too spoiled. But yeah, the trade launch or the trade dropped just this last within the last week. But mild spoilers, it ends with a creation myth. Cool. Thor kind of restarts everything. And there's hints uh, at all sorts of Thors that could potentially happen in between now and King Thor and even after the reign of King Thor that include things like uh, Thor going around being a space cop to gods. Oh, my God, I would read that book. Oh, my God. Right. It was weird. Well, while reading it, I loved it. Uh, nothing really super stood out to me, but. I feel like I'm still processing just how much the ending of this run meant to me because I was at work the other day and uh, trying to summarize it to a friend that's sort of been uh, vicariously going through this run with me as I needed somebody to vent to and, and talk about all the cool shit that was happening in my day-to-day -day life. And I started getting really emotional when talking about the specifics of what actually happens in the end of that run. I mean, this has been the run that I've heard you say, like, the most good things about out of any comic book we've talked about together. I know we're going to have uh, to do, like, an episode at some point so I can say a bunch of spoilers, but... Well, between this coming out and you talking about this book and then reading the Jason Aaron Conan run, it's really restarted my urge to read this Thor run. Because I've always liked Thor, but it's not a book that I have ever followed as closely, but... I have enjoyed every issue of the run of his that I've read since he did that book for over five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all good, good chunk really for, for the modern day. It is a very long run. Um, and it does sort of amuse me that it took Donny Cates roughly half an issue to rewrite most of the Thor canon after the Jason Aaron run. And I'm not giving shit for that because that's a thing that you do when you start your run. Like, you get to play new games. You know, and. But, like, you. S Interestingly enough, with the way that Aaron ends this run with King Thor, it all still makes sense that Kate's can just change it so dramatically. And it, it still fits into this story. Yeah, and I know that Cates had talked about it, that it was very important to him that, yes, he was going to change everything, but he wasn't just going to, like, negate, no, that never happened it. Right. Because this is, this is probably, like, the Walt Simonson Thor is probably, like, the best regarded Thor run of all time. It's where Better Ray Bill comes up. He, it's where 
the uh not the destroyer uh the executioner scourge the executioner has this really cool moment that they brought into thor ragnarok mm-hmm. but other than walt simonson this is probably the highest regarded thor run i've ever heard of it's been some of my most fun reading comics almost ever aaron does do a lot of things that i like to see played with that i've talked about in the past like uh, just the passing mantles of power and stuff and how that can affect different characters. But yeah. And Aaron's so willing to, to change characters while he's writing them. Yeah. Which makes for good growth. When, when he wrote Wolverine a lot, Wolverine actually like grew up a little bit instead of just, that's actually a big part of Aaron. Now that I think about it is his characters grow growing up. Like, you know, his Wolverine at the end of his several years writing Wolverine, because he loved writing Wolverine, wasn't just the pissy little man child. Thor actually, like, it's not the first time that Thor gets authority and becomes king of Asgard, but it's one of the first times that he really grows into the role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, especially with how much of this run has to do with uh, Thor's worthiness and unworthiness and learning what it means to be worthy and how impossible that might be. Uh, I don't know. This I could say a lot wanna, about it. This is making me want to reread Original Sin, which was Jason Aaron's big crossover, first big Marvel crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't the best of the crossovers. I thought War of the Realms was better, but it was it was very good. It was a very enjoyable book. And I really quickly kind of forgot about it. You thought that because War of the Realms is better. Yeah. I mean, War of the Realms is great, and it brings back Agents of Atlas, who is one of my... It, it They are my favorite Marvel super team, so by all means, give me more War of the Realms. But that's that's been pretty much it this week for me. Uh, that's the big thing, anyway. Uh, I've fallen a little bit behind on all the CW shows, so I've been kind of gradually catching back up with that shit, too. But uh, nothing, yeah. nothing too spectacular beyond that. Uh, I started Stardew Valley, like the video game, and I have read the first issue of the Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp, Green Lantern run, and I don't really have much to say about either of those because I haven't had enough time to do anything with them yet. Like, you know, I read the first issue of the trade, so like the first sixth of the book Mm -hmm. last night. I've played, I, I say three days worth of Stardew Valley, but that's like an hour. Uh, So next week, those will probably be things I'll have a lot more to say about. So far, all I can say is they're good. Uh, I enjoy them both. I am super excited to hear what you say about Stardew Valley, because I've been recommended that by a number of people. Well, not a lot of people, but almost everyone that knows how much I enjoyed uh, Harvest Moon 64 has been like, oh, Stardew Valley. Well... I picked it up for two reasons. One, Yui's a very big fan of Stardew Valley, and since we're all stuck at home, <laughs> or I'm not stuck at home, I'm at work, but like when I'm not, I'm at home, I was like, fuck it, it's cheap, we'll pick up a game, we'll have some fun and play. And then also, people at work cannot stop talking about Animal Crossing. Oh, that's true. And I am not that devoted to Animal Crossing. I played the first one and didn't super care for it. I'm, I hear this one's great, I'm glad people are enjoying it. But Stardew Valley had that same kind of like relax and make the world and like everything's kind of peaceful feel for $15 instead of, I don't know, a a new game. So probably 60 bucks. Right. Yeah, I think you made the I think you made a good call. 
Thank you, made a good call. Everyone's like, uh, uh, Animal Crossing and Doom, I picked up both of them. I'm like, that's a lot of money. I spent $20 and I got Doom and Stardew Valley, but it was the original Doom, which we talked about last week. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's what I got. Uh, I guess we got some news. There's not much news yeah. this week. I'm I'm kind of amazed you have news, to be honest with you. Uh, once again, I'll try to get some of the Corona stuff out of the way first. I didn't write down nearly as much as last week, just the couple big things, but there's just too much to keep up on all of it. Yeah. Free comic book day has been postponed. Yeah, which makes sense. Free comic book day is May 1st, I think. So Something it would have been like right in the like, don't come here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like our comic book store is still open, but they're doing like curbside drop offs. Even there's uh, I-, I was talking to Jason, the guy that owns Muse Comics. I'm going to name drop it because I know a lot of you are Missoula based and I love Muse comic books. And he's like, we're we fit within the CDC. Like they said, no more than 10 people within and like six feet away. Mm-hmm. That's not really a problem in the store. And it's true. Every time I'm in there, once they shut down, like, the gaming area, it, it, it's a comic store. We don't tend to have 20 people in the store at a time, but consistently two or three people. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's a bummer, but it was going to happen. But yeah. But worth mentioning, I think. Since we were just talking about some video games, GameStop finally closed its fucking doors. Oh, God, I was reading about that. They tried to get themselves classified as essential services. Yeah, and they were, like, sending off notices to their employees to, like, basically just yell that at anybody trying to, like, shut their store down or something stupid like that. I, Which is absolutely insane. Yeah, especially because is... there's no way they're making enough to do that for that stupid company. I think they were honestly trying to just stay like, I I don't think they thought that that was going to really work in the long term, but they wanted to get through long enough for Animal Crossing to come out. Yeah, because I'm sure that opening night sales were through the roof. That and uh, GameStop closes. I'm not sure how much of a chance it has of actually reopening. They've been going on a downhill slope for years now. They've been struggling for a long time, and I'm kind of sad about video game stores struggling, but also at the same time, I have—I don't think I've ever actually read a good thing about GameStop's business practices. Right. Yeah, same here. That's what I'm like, thinking. I mean, don't get me wrong. Super sketch. I've definitely bought shit from there because it's, it's down the street. Like it, yeah, it's, and... It's a 10-minute walk, and I can buy a new fucking video game at the mall, but... Especially in a small town mm-hmm. and Missoula def like I don't think of Missoula as overly small because I've lived in here since I was four and we're one of the bigger towns in the state. But we're still we are not a large place, especially when it comes to places like where I buy video games or where I buy comic books. And we're lucky we have a good local comic book store. But like I have definitely spent money in places that I never would otherwise because I do not have much of a choice. Mm-hmm. So. Who knows if we'll ever see it truly reopened again, but at least that finally happened because they were kind of being dicks about the whole situation. Oh, yeah, that that's insane. Like, OK, we work at a grocery store. We are, whether we like it or not, kind of essential services. I wish we got hazard pay, but we're essential services. We have to have places you can buy food. We do not have to have places where we can go in and buy physical copies of video games. No. In the year 2020. 
Not at all. When we're trying to keep a pandemic down. God, I wasn't going to talk to politics too much on this show when we first started it, but surprising no one who knows me, my <laughs> opinions shine through. <laughs> so with the pandemic going, uh, we're getting a couple things released digitally way earlier than normal. Uh, by the time this is out, Birds of Prey will have dropped digitally. I might actually pick that up. Like, I don't usually pick up stuff on digital, but I really liked Birds of Prey. I think within two days of this episode coming out, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog will be dropping digitally. Wow, that is so fast. Which is appropriate because we're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, and the one other good thing, George R. R. Martin has been staying inside and riding the Winds of Winter. <laughs> I've been hearing jokes about that, but like, they're friendly like George. George, you have no other choice. We don't want you going. We didn't want you going outside before this. We really don't want you going outside now. I I read his uh, not a blog post and he's keeping himself pretty safely squared away, has uh, shuttered and uh, postponed all sorts of different things uh, because he like helps run a theater or something, too, and all sorts of shit. So. And he is sort of just like isolated back on his property doing a whole bunch of writing. So good. Finish your damn series, George. I don't even read it. And I want you to finish this series. Uh, I mean, if he comes out with a book, it's it's just going to lift everyone's spirits from this pandemic. So if he can even just report this book is done. Oh, man, it'll be great. And. And then everyone can stress out because they'll be like, hey, will it be good? How will it do versus the TV show? The TV, I, I don't blame him, actually, if for like stress avoiding this book, which is the feeling I have gotten about him. Mm -hmm. Because people have put such a, there's such an emotional like connection to it at this point of like people really needing this to be good, especially after disappointment with the end of Game of Thrones, the TV show. Oh. And as I said, I stopped watching shortly after I celebrated Joffrey dying and then had to have a go long sit down about how I about me getting that much joy out of the death of a child. But uh, a lot of people get have real emotional connection to that show. And that's great because we should care about the fiction that we ingest. Uh, one more slightly bit of downer news for the week. Okay. Uh, Lyle Wagoner passed. Uh, if you don't know that actor by name, he was Steve Trevor on the old Wonder Woman. Show. Oh, I did hear about that. I honestly am not sure if I have ever actually seen a full episode of the original Wonder Woman. So I don't have much. The, the, there's no emotional connection for me in that one. Right. Well, for for like 40 years, he was the only live action Steve Trevor. Uh, and one of the real fun things that if I remember, I'll link it over on the page on the website, but he screen tested for Batman. It, oh, for like Batman 66? Yes. Wow. And it exists and you can see the footage and Adam West was such a better choice, but this guy would have been serviceable. It probably wouldn't have blown up the way it did, but it wouldn't have been bad. Nice. Good job. Like, I, I appreciate this guy's contribution. I'm, I'm sorry for his family. At the very least, he's not young, so 
it it sounds callous, but like I am much less sad when an old person dies because at the very least they're an old person. Right. And I've never really wanted to bring up like every like old nerdy celebrity dying that pops up on this show. But uh, when I saw the footage of him testing for Batman 66, I was like, oh, shit, I need to throw this out there just so people know that they can go. Watch yeah, that's this. really cool. You said that was last year's sad news. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything else is okay. happy. I got one thing I'm going to toss in real fast, just in the, like, I wasn't surprised by this, but it was still a holy shit moment. The 2020 Olympics have been postponed till 2021. Oh, yeah, I just saw that. Like, I am not surprised, but holy shit, that is, I I don't know if I've ever heard of the Olympics being put off before. I mean, I'm sure they were during, like, World War II, but... Yeah, we, uh... I'm I'm one of the people that are straight up for like abolishing the Olympics. Oh really? So. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're uh we don't need to get into all it right. all. That that gets a lot a lot uh maybe a bit too political for this show, but I'll talk to you. They are a massive drain on everything for nothing, basically. That's fair. I like watching the gymnasts. And also just like petri dishes, so it's a really good thing. Oh yeah. Oh I've heard they shut down uh, in the midst of this. STDs in the Olympic Village is just a, a smorgasbord. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of, like, Olympic-caliber athlete fucking going you on know, all the time at the Like, Olympics. I'll laugh about it, but it is some of the greatest athletes in the world with a whole lot of adrenaline going on in one small concentrated area. So you guys have fun. Practice safer sex, though. And, and not just that, but, like... Like, that's the big event. Like, they do that, and they get at least, like, a week break before they have to start training for the next thing. And even then, their next thing isn't as big as what they were just doing. Oh, yeah. So the Olympics are also the point where they finally get to relax and blow off uh, blow off steam. Anyways, this got dirtier so, than we so were intending to. Anyway. Uh, but, yeah, that, <laughs> it, it just felt, that one was one of the things that got canceled that really felt big to me in ways a few other things haven't like oh we've canceled this comic-con i'm like well that's fucking obvious right it's still just it sucks but you're right it's it's obvious Mm -hmm. um so i'm hoping you have a little bit more uh insight onto these characters or not but uh on set for loki or in cast listings or something anyway apparently some of the characters are going to be minutemen as in the time cops of the Marvel Universe, and I have never ran into them. They have never been in a story I have read. I, I don't think I've ever read anything with them. I believe the Minutemen are connected to the Time Variance Authority, which is kind of the time police. Basically what like Captain Jack was in Doctor Who before he became a con man. Oh, okay. I, I don't have much on that front. It's It could be kind of cool. I've always thought the idea of time cops are kind of interesting. Even if... I, yeah. I have never read many books that... Act. Even if the movie Time Cop kind of blew? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I've never read many stories that actively involve the concept because usually when we have a time traveler, they're a rogue, like, you know, Doctor Who or Captain Jack or uh, the the crew of the wave rider on legends. Right. Right. Oh yeah. And they have some time, time police and legends. Yeah. They've got, uh, 
what is that? There's the Time Masters in the first couple seasons, and then they get replaced by the Bureau? Yeah, that's Rip anyway. Hunter, I want to say, who was in the original mm-hmm. one, and that was an ongoing DC comic series for a while. It wasn't my favorite, but it was interesting. Uh, anyway, that all makes sense, too, with where we last saw Loki in Endgame. Uh, I was kind of hoping that you might have more on the characters, because... Not really, like, I'm aware of them, but that actually is kind of fun on its own right, because as we've discussed, I am a disturbing level of comic book encyclopedia, so when they're like, here's a thing, and I'm like, I don't know anything about that. That's that's fun for me. That's where they're bringing in stuff that I might not otherwise be as interested in, because I've already read 15, 20 stories of whoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the time-traveling note, Big Finish Productions uh, announced their next uh, Doctor Who uh, story. And it's kind of a lost story and kind of one we've gotten before. Uh, They are going to be doing Return of the Cybermen. Now, Revenge of the Cybermen was broadcast back in 1975 and was part of the Tom Baker season. Okay. uh, His debut season. Okay. The original script for that was vastly changed from its between it being written and it being uh, produced. That happened a lot. Uh, Douglas Adams was script editor during that time, or I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. I know he was script editor during a large period of the Tom Baker years. And a lot of the stories were very exciting, which meant they were very expensive. And old school Doctor Who worked on a shoestring budget. This one was uh, rewritten by script editor Robert Holmes. But Big Finish will be adapting Gary Davis, uh, his storyline, which was the original version, The Return of the Cybermen. But it's not even going to be a pure adaptation of that. They are going to tweak a couple things. I have a feeling the tweaks are probably going to be just so that it all falls in line with canon that has been established since then. But Cybermen are not my favorite they're actually my probably least favorite of the like big recurring Doctor Who villains, but Big Finish has been doing a lot of very good work for a long time now. They do really good audio from what I understand. So cool. And that's nothing for. And uh, Tom Baker will be reprising his role for the audio. That's one of the things that impresses me is the number of times that they have gotten retired doctors to come back. They, I mean. Ace and Sylvester McCoy, or Sophie Aldred and Sylvester McCoy, Ace and Seven, have done several in the last couple of years. Peter Davidson's done them. Uh, I think the only one that they haven't gotten to come back who is still alive, I mean, obviously can't bring back the dead ones, is I don't think Christopher mm-hmm. Eccleston has done any. But he no. has a mixed relation. He doesn't have a very good relationship post Doctor Who with a lot of with most people from what I can tell <laughs> and sorry about that it sounds like he wasn't treated super well but right yeah yeah I know and he's finally started talking about it a little bit more, more recently I remember reading an interview but I, I can't remember everything that was said uh, but Big Finish I think also has been behind a couple of the more recent Doctor Who novels after they adapted uh, Tom Baker Scratchman and then had him read the novel and then they got Sophie Aldred to write a book and about her character Ace and then read the audiobook. 
and they seem to be doing a lot of stuff like that too. I'm pretty sure that's big finish as well. I am suddenly unsure. The Doctor Who audio universe is an area that I am not nearly as strongly like connected with, so I apologize if I'm speaking out of my ass. Yeah, I've I've never really read any I mean read listen to any of the big Finnish productions, but I've only really heard good things about it. And this could be interesting because we've kind of got the story before, but we also kind of haven't. So, well, could be fun. And they've done like six different versions of the scream of the Shalka, which is a unfinished Tom Baker story that Douglas Adams worked on. So bring on redos and remakes and variations of different Tom Baker scripts. That sounds amazing. Uh, and then I have to end off the news two high point star Wars news Please. items. Uh, the smaller one is Robert Rodriguez is going to be directing an episode in the second season of the Mandalorian. Well, that should be interesting. You're a Rodriguez fan. I want to say, so that's, I am a big Rodriguez fan. That should be fun. Uh, Desperado is the first rated R movie I ever watched. I once dressed up as Machete for Halloween. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, if you don't know, is the director of uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, uh, Desperado, El Mariachi, Spy Kids, Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3D, Sin City, uh, Alita Battle Angel. Like <laughs> I love that. Like he does all of these like you know grindhouse violent stuff, and then he's like Spy Kids, Shark Boy, and Lava Girl. Yeah, was literally part of Grindhouse. Did one of the ha one half of one of the segments. Was there. was he? Did he have kids that were growing up around that time, or did he randomly just get a bug up his butt about doing like I want to do kids movies now for a while? No, he. Uh, I think he has five kids, and one of them helped write. Uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3. Oh, okay. I just, that that seemed very much like a, it, it's not uncommon for directors that are like, oh, I have kids. I should make something I can show my kids. Particularly if they're known for doing weird, crazy, violent stuff. Yeah, I can't, oh, I can't remember which one of the kids. Uh, they all have really fun, super alliterative names like Rebel and Rocket and Racer. Rocket, Rod, Racer Rodriguez. I... That is a comic book right there. That that absolutely <laughs> should be. Oh my god. Uh, and also in Mandalorian season two, we're going to be getting Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano, which made my entire week so much. Better. I am so conflicted about this. Everyone I know is super excited, and I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And I am sure I'm going to utterly eat my eat crow about this. But Ahsoka Tano has been so well done by the voice actors whose name I cannot think of right now that I am having. Oh, shit. I am having trouble imagining anyone else playing her. And I am so nervous about anyone else doing it because Ahsoka has been so perfectly done. At the same time, Dave Filoni is heavily involved with the Mandalorian, if not like, I mean, he's not the head guy, but he's Ahsoka Tano. Might as well Ahsoka be. Ahsoka Tano is his baby. There is no way that he is going to let this happen without having been very carefully, like, overseeing it. And Dawson's great. She is a great actress. I'm sure she will kill it in this role. I just, until I see it and until I go, oh, I was wrong, part of my brain's going to be like, oh, God. I 
this made me happy on two levels because I, I do think she's an amazing actress. I think she's going to do a really good job. Uh, as stated before on the podcast, I am a giant, giant Kevin Smith fan, and this has been a fan casting of his for at least the last two years that I've heard him bring up at least like six or seven different times across his different podcasts. That he wanted Rosario Dawson to do been, it? Yes. Well, he's been friends with Dawson since Clerks 2. Mm-hmm. And she was originally supposed to be in Zack and Mary Make a Porno, but scheduling issues or something like that? Uh, I believe so. So, yeah, I'm all for Rosario. I've been I've been for Rosario since he threw out that as being a possibility, and I've had, like, two years to think about it. So a lot of other people are just kind of thinking about it now. But I, since he threw that out a while ago, I've been like, oh, no, Rosario. Yeah, let's do it, Rosario. I am sure I am going to be wrong to be as anxious about it as I am, if that makes sense. Plus, I just want, I just want to see more Rosario, I think. I want to s- like, I've been missing... Uh, I've been missing having more of her around since all the all the Netflix Marvel shows aren't going for her to pop in on every single well, one. And it would so. be great to let her be involved in a big nerd thing again and let her have some fun with it because, like, she clearly enjoyed playing the night nurse, uh, Claire, Claire, Claire Temple. Yes, I think so. But it it was clear that she enjoyed that. And I love those shows, but they were all giant bummers. They were mm-hmm. all giant bummers. And she left on a pretty dark note in Luke Cage. So it, it'll, yes. it'll be nice to put her in a big nerd thing where she can be the big nerd goddess that she is kind of becoming and still enjoy herself and be a badass. Like, there's no way that she's not going to be awesome if she's playing Ahsoka fucking Tano. Oh, yeah, I and you you know, she's going to face off against Moff Gideon and the Darksaber, which it's always fun to watch Ahsoka Tano like people who are new to Ahsoka Tano who have only seen the early Clone Wars and they're like why does everyone love this girl so much because she was so hateable in her early appearances I'm still pretty early in Clone Wars and I I already dig Ahsoka oh she was she was so frustrating at least in like the first movie I thought she was super obnoxious um but that's that's all I got for news yeah it's pretty simple news that's fine um let's take a quick break and then we will jump into more star wars honestly because i haven't actually announced it in this one but we are doing another star wars episode so this episode's kind of new for us because as what we've historically done so far is when we're talking about a thing we base it around a uh a specific episode or a specific show or movie or whatever. I mean, we've done an episode of Mandalorian. We've done an episode on Rise of Skywalker. Surprising no one, we're in our third Star mm-hmm. Wars episode. But instead of a, a specific thing, we're doing a specific character this week with uh, Dr. Afra. Oh, this is exciting. Also, I, I just... Uh, we haven't discussed it too much yet beforehand because I this is all We new. did not discuss this episode at all. Probably not going to get overly spoilery for things that happen with her different storylines through the comics because I kind of want people just to go read them. Well, and it helps that we... But we'll definitely do a lot of the setup stuff from, like, the Vader series, for sure. It it helps that we haven't read too far into her solo series. I don't know if you've read any of that yet. I've read the first volume, and I'm somewhere in the second one. 
So like the first seven issues. That's about where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Afra is, she's a really interesting character. Cause I think she, she covers several firsts. She was created by Kieran Gillen and Salvador LaRocca. They are Kieran Gillen is probably the best comic book writer in the business right now. It's like him and Brian K. Vaughn kind of like slug matching for whoever I think is better right now. Uh, and LaRocca is a staple of Marvel Comics. They created her for the Darth Vader series because turns out Darth Vader is a major bummer of a character to follow around 24 seven. So they needed a slightly lighter character and a slightly less holy shit evil than in between episodes four and five. So in between new hope and empire strike back Vader, when Vader was just straight up the villain of the series. And she's very much introduced as a supporting character. Cause a lot of that Vader run kind of shows that the weakness of Vader is that he's just one man. And sometimes you need to get more than one thing done at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she ended up being the breakout character and she got her own comic book out of it. She was the first time Marvel ever made a comic book where the headlining character hadn't been in one of the movies or TV shows or something along those lines. She was created entirely for the comic book. She has appeared outside of Marvel comics only twice. One in some mobile video game where you, it's like a turn-based fight game it did not look very good to me okay i'm I'm sure it's not terrible it's just not a style that interested me enough to pursue it and she's in one audiobook which is the only time that there's so that's the only time there's a voice for her where she was voiced by january lavoy who i do not know but that's kind of cool me either uh i looked her up she mostly does audiobooks and theater work so uh, there's not much there of places that i would know her from um i believe that uh dr afra is not the first explicitly queer character in star wars but she's new enough in it or she's early enough in the like queer representation in star wars that she's i believe the first time a queer character had a headlining role in any book uh, she is. I, I was going to ask if it was even, even the first queer character to make a cover. Probably. I know there was an explicitly queer character in one in some of the novels that Chuck Wendig wrote, and I haven't read enough of those. I only know that because people flipped their shit, because it turns out that the internet sucks. Yeah, it can. And that's true. Doctor Afra is portrayed as a lesbian there was a whole lot of like is there romantic interest in luke skywalker and the answer is no not really the only character she's ever shown explicitly interested in is women and as much Mm -hmm. as i you know love bi representation i am perfectly fine with just an open lesbian in star wars because we don't have that and it's also neat because they take the time in in her they don't take the time to to point it out, at least not as far as I've gotten yet. No. But because of her being lesbian, you get to see that homophobia, as we know it, doesn't exist in Star Wars, which kind of makes me want to live in the Star Wars universe just a little bit more. Yeah, uh, it it really does make sense in a lot of high science fiction. 
that we don't have the hangups that for whatever reason we have in the real world, because it turns out, I mean, gender isn't a binary here. You go out where there's other species and it gets even less binary. Mm -hmm. So it's much less of a thing. Um, she is. Ask Lando about that. <laughs> Lando. You know, I don't. Lando hasn't met Dr. Afra in any story I've heard of, but considering that they're bumping all of the Marvel Star Wars stories to post Empire instead of pre Empire Strikes Back, I am really mm -hmm. looking forward to Lando meets Dr. Afra. Holy shit, I want that. Oh my. Oh my god, I want them to adventure together. Uh,. I have a feeling they'd get on each other's oh, absolutely. nerves. And it would be awesome. And then the other aspect is she is a character of color. She is portrayed as Asian. It's never really talked about, but I mean, not that Asia is a thing in Star Wars. Uh, but Star Wars, especially in the original trilogy era, is extremely white. So it's nice to see uh, a different looking human, whether they're actually Asian or from a different place. Yes. Someone other than just Lando playing that. And I'm sure there's someone going, oh, but so-and-so background character. And that's true, and that's great. And if I thought about it longer, then I'm sure I could think of them. But it's just, we've talked about it a lot. Representation matters. And Afra does a very good job of being representation while also just being a lot of fun. Afra, especially early on, is basically just even morally grayer Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is uh, explain uh, Dr. Aphra real fast. And that you really just summed it up. She's Indiana Jones in the Star Wars universe, but really kind of shitty. I love her. She's a lot of fun. And she does a really good job of when you expect her to go like you're like, oh, she's the bad guy. And then she'll do the good guy thing. Or like, oh, man, she's redeemable. She's because and then she does something really fucked up. Uh, she is kind of the definition of, I don't know if I would go with chaotic neutral, but she's a very neutral character in the world of Star Wars, which we are really used to being defined as like the light side and the dark. Right. Which, uh, I mean, I, I really enjoy, I mean, come on, you know that I enjoy like morally gray characters. To oh yeah. With, so like I'm I'm all about Dr. Afra, but I'm super about seeing that in the Star Wars universe uh because it just fleshes it out so much more. Um the pure black and white is really boring after a while. And it's just too easy to guess what's coming when everything's pure black and white. Well, and probably the most popular character of the heroes that ever really developed out of Star Wars. And no, I mean, it's Chewbacca, but like other than Chewbacca <laughs> is Han Solo. Everyone loves Han Solo and Han Solo is the lovable rogue. And so they were kind of looking at that concept. But Han has a extremely noble streak underneath it all. Uh, they, Akira talks about it in the Solo movie. Han is a hero underneath it all. He's the good guy. He's a scoundrel, but he's a good guy. Afra Right. Isn't. Is a scoundrel and neutral yeah afra will i mean han will kill someone and not feel too bad about it afra will kill someone and then maybe throw a party about it like she depending on who they are i do want to say that one of the things i noticed as uh i was reboning up on on reading a little bit of afra is that she's definitely against just throwing away life it's true she is not very murder happy 
if someone dies, that's fine. But she's she, uh, we're so used to, you know, gunslinger characters or Jedi who use laser swords that have no stun settings. Mm-hmm. Afra keeps a gun on her, but she very rarely uses it that I can think of. Uh, she's also very pro everyone being armed. Yeah. She's a big fan of guns. Uh, in the short story that was adapted to an audiobook, apparently it takes place during, and I just read about this, so I haven't read this book, but it takes place right mm-hmm. after they find out that Alderaan has been destroyed. And she gets excited about it because she's super like, how would that happen? Like, what what would be required? What is the tech involved on making something that can blow up a planet? Like, is one person, is that just like one trigger? Or it, it's really kind of weird. Uh, she's very pro-guns. She's pro-Empire, which is unexpected from someone who is on the run from the Empire as much as she is. Uh, mm-hmm. And people are like, wait, why do you like space fascism? And even the writers who write her are like, it, we know space fascism is, fascism is bad. But she grew up, the the age range that she's in, she would have grown up during the Clone Wars. So she would have grown up during huge time of war. So anything that keeps the peace would have a real argument for someone that survived an experience, like an intergalactic fucking war, would have a real argument as a good thing, even if they are not good people. I don't personally agree with it, but I think there's a point to it. Uh, well, uh- Bringing up that point is what it's kind of what separates her from Indy for me is that ultimately she's had times of privilege and she got to go to college and things like that, but has grown up in a situation where she's had to be more of a survivor where he kind of just gets to like fuck off and go do all that bullshit that he does just because he can. Yeah. That being said, she gets herself into most of her predicaments. Oh, almost every um, time things go... Well, she got herself into the original predicament, and it it's almost seems that her life has just been just on the same track since there, just rolling momentum, because she decided to do this, and that leads to this, and that leads to this, and that leads to this. And uh, Almost every time that something goes bad for Dr. Afra, it is 100% Dr. Afra's fault. She, she is, I'm going to call her a hero here, but I mean like as like a lead character, not as, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker hero. Mm -hmm. She is a hero in a Star Wars thing that is allowed to consistently make the wrong decision and then have to pay the price for making the wrong decision. Like Han paid the price for a decision that, as it sounds like, he didn't really have a whole lot of choice on and he got frozen carbonite as a result. Afra so many times has had a choice where she's managed to escape her bad decisions and then just goes on to make more bad decisions. Yes, 100%. She definitely continue brings it on herself. Um, part of that, though, is I think part of the reason why I like Afra so much and maybe what makes her more likable than uh, characters other characters that do all these same actions would be is that she's kind of guided by just being a giant ancient weapons tech. Oh, she's a giant dork. And it's just an awkward lot of fun that just can't shut up when she's nervous, but has a lot of wit to be able to, 
to use that nonstop talking energy to still throw out one-liners and jokes to everyone around she her. She routinely, routinely sasses Darth Vader. Yes. And gets away with it. And uh, we won't... Sp- For a long time. Yeah, and we won't, as we said, really spoil anything for the Doctor After series. But uh, at the end of the original Kieran Gill and Darth Vader series, because he wrote Darth Vader for like 30 somewhere between 30 and 40 issues. He wrote that for quite a while Mm -hmm. and then ended that series. They relaunched Vader with someone else. I think Simon Spurrier, but I could be wrong. And he launched, uh, Vader was relaunched with Charles. Oh, okay. So, Oh, that's great. And Afra was relaunched with Spurrier. Uh, um, Kieran Gillen wrote Dr. Afra, the original series, the, headlining book for a while and then passed it on to Simon Spurrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she's Vader thinks he kills her at the end of the Vader series. And I think that was originally the plan. And then she got really popular. She's a, a real popular cosplay character Good. and he figured out a way Good. that they wouldn't have to kill her, which is amazing. Um, she's part of a cast that Marvel was very careful to put out there that connects heavily with the Star Wars main cast we're used to, but wasn't a character from the movies, which in some cases is awkward because you're like, where the fuck were they during Empire Strikes Back? But also is really important because that gives characters that they can make bigger changes to. In in the mm-hmm. Darth Vader comic book that takes place between New Hope and Empire, you know at the end of it, he has to be in a position where he is the second most powerful person in the Empire hunting down Luke Skywalker. But you don't know where Dr. Aphra is going to be. You don't know where Dr. Aphra... There, there's no point where Dr. Aphra has to be for that. So you can make a lot right. of other choices. Uh, he... Uh, well, and the hard part, but the part that stands out that they've been doing such a good job with is the storylines that they give her... Uh, and these other supporting characters that have been made for the comics, it makes sense that they don't show up in the movies. Yeah. Jason Aaron and Kieran Gillen were the original writers for the Star Wars relaunches. Aaron wrote Star Wars. Gillen wrote Star er, wrote uh, Vader. And then after Aaron left Star Wars, Gillen took over Star Wars. And I think for a while he was writing both Star Wars and Aphra. Although that might have been when he passed it off to Spurrier for Afra, I am that is farther along than I am, so I am not a hundred percent certain on that. Gotcha. Uh, but they had worked together previously on X Men together, where they had done a similar thing of two books that took place simultaneously, using different characters, but they could cross over with characters whenever they wanted to. Like Afra at the end of a big va- uh, crossover called Vader Down, Afra is transferred. Oh, Vader Down is it's so, so cool. cool. Anyway, uh, Afra is transferred for like two storylines into the main Star Wars book, which is following like the heroes, and then she escapes and goes back to the Vader book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they, around the same time, around issue three for both of them, they introduced a new character to be kind of their their big character of the like new cast that they were building. Aaron introduces Sana. I think it's pronounced Sana S A N A solo, who is a woman who at first you're like, it keeps claiming to be Han Solo's wife. And then you eventually realize that it's uh, Solo's 
wife is part of a con or something like that. And she ends up, Oh, she ends up joining with them and working with Leia a lot, but isn't a devotee to the re or to the rebellion in the same way that Luke is, or even in the same way that like Han is. And then Dr. Aphra is introduced in Vader around the same time. And they're actually former girlfriends. They clearly dated at a past point, but Aphra is so much more Aphra took off. And that's because Aphra is a significantly stronger character. And I liked Sana. She's good. I'm hoping that she's in the world post empire still, as I said, I'm behind on all these, but Aphra is the one I'm like, fuck yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for more to be happening. I agree. You brought up Vader down. Vader down has a scene or a couple at least with, uh, you get to kind of see Afra playing off of uh, Han Solo a little bit. I love that Han Solo is terrified of her. I was going to say, those scenes are super neat, both uh, in-universe and on a meta level, because in-universe, you get to see how she's a different kind of scoundrel than Han. Mm-hmm. Han is... But on a meta level, you get to see Han teamed up with Indiana Jones. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. Uh, Han, as I said, is terrified of her, and Afra has no idea who Han Solo is. <laughs> Which is one of the first times that we meet a scoundrel who doesn't know who Han is. Because most of the time when we meet scoundrels, we meet them through Han, and he is one of the best smugglers in the galaxy. And she does know Bosk. She does know Bosk. I want to say she knows IG-88. But... They're like, Han, uh, oh, Han Solo's over there. And she goes, Han Solo? Not Han Solo. And they're like, do you know him? And they're like, nah, I just wanted to see how that sounded. Not very dangerous. Um, but they're like, <laughs> Dr. Afro, and he goes, oh, no. Because he's aware of what unmitigated fucking chaos Afra is. Well, and I don't want to take the focus off Afra too much, but I think part of the reputation surrounding Afra, especially by around that time period, is because she has been laying wake, uh, laying waste and destruction in her wake due to BT and triple Z And the Black Crystal Inn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going to say, we definitely do need to talk about them. They did a... Because they're a huge draw into that series. Afra's amazing, but all of these characters it's, it's, The are supporting cast is astounding. what makes it work. Uh, it was a very clever move, I felt, by, by Gillen we're going to make this character this a little more morally gray, and we're going to give her a cast that on paper looks like a carbon copy in some ways of the main Star Wars, like supporting characters cast, because there is the Black Kirstalan, who is a Wookiee, and uh, BT and Triple Zero, who are an astromech and a protocol droid, respectively, or at least that's what they appear like. But then right. we're going to um, twist The real draw-in is that BT is because he's a Blastomech, a prototype uh, war droid built on an astromech frame he's just, that went rogue and destroyed, like, its entire space station. He's just loaded to the tits with missiles and lasers. Uh, <laughs> and Triple Zero is... Uh, is in the body of a protocol droid, but I don't know if they ever said that that was uh, what its original body was intended to uh, be. He specializes uh, it is an... in interrogation and assassination. Yeah, yeah. 
and loves just draining organics of their fluids. Yeah, straight up just steals their blood. And like, <laughs> okay, so we've had a and I have a D&D character in one of the campaigns that I work in. I, in one of the ones that I run and I have to deal with this character that has stolen wizard blood. Uh, and I think of him every time BT comes up. These characters are fucked. He he talks like C-3PO in a lot of ways. Like if C-3PO didn't have the same level of anxiety that poor C-3PO has. But what mm -hmm. he's talking about is murder. And you just you get so many hilarious interchanges between the two because they don't they don't translate what BT says. Uh, and nor should they. Nobody would be able to understand it. Part of the reason she had to get triple zero was because triple zero speaks BT's programming language which was um, proprietary mm -hmm. and they were both made in the same factory. Uh, uh, but <laughs> you just get like the, uh, like triple zero. I mean, yeah. Triple zero leaning down to BT and being like, no, of course we can't blow them all up right now. What would doc, what would master say? Like we have to do it later. Oh, when no, she's I not want to, to like, believe me. <laughs> uh, and she has to set up a program in both of them that they will like, listen to her and not murder her because otherwise they would at the first opportunity. These two are like the evil mirror universe versions of R2 and 3PO, which means they're weirdly good at their jobs, but their jobs again are murder. And the black Cursitan is, and I'm not uh, sure either black one of us Wookie. is pronouncing that correctly because it's a Wookiee name. So it's like KR. And he doesn't S's. have a, yeah, he doesn't have a fun nickname like Chewie. Yeah, he would murder you if you tried that. Uh, uh, but he was an enslaved Wookiee that was thrown into the fighting pits. Uh, he was he did kind of volunteer for them because he's a fucking psychopath. He's got a big scar but across he, his eye, and yeah, he is out uh, for revenge on the people that put him in that situation though because even though he volunteered for the pits he doesn't like being controlled mm -hmm. and a big running thing is that afra owes him so much money so <laughs> just all the, the money. reason that they end up working together is because he is aware that her crazy harebrained schemes will get him the money that she owes him this is not any life debt bullshit this is you're going to earn me the money that i that you owe me or I will murder you. I will tear your arms off. Well, and it's definitely not life debt shit because there's times where like she gets into shit and he's just like, Oh damn, you might not survive. Bye. So peace. I'm taking your ship. And like the only reason that she seems to be in charge is because curse the land is pretty sure or like seems pretty aware that he is not a planning type character. No, he he isn't. He's a he's a killing type character. So if he hangs out with her, he has a better chance of getting his money back and he gets to murder. He's kind of like an evil version of Misty from Pokemon where it's like, I'm following you to get my bike. He's like, I'm following you to get my fortune and, and murder. murder. I got a huge Wookiee murder. Now I just want right a Wookiee now. with like Misty's weird side hair hair thing. I'm sorry, I listened to the Pokemon episode we did last week, like, right before we did this, so my brain is still kind of on that front. That's, that's hilarious. Um, also, out of every Star Wars ship, 
I think I want the Archangel the most. Archangel is a pretty ship. It's really cool. Um, it's got a very distinctive blue and white design. Like a lot of Star Wars ships are all gray. This one is very not gray. It doesn't stick out as much as like the Milano from Guardians of the Galaxy sticks out. But it mm-hmm. it definitely it when you see it, you see it. The thing I like about the, the Archangel is, to me, it looks kind of just like a, a beefed-up Slave 1, which was my previous favorite ship. Slave 1 is a classic fucking ship. Um, this was just like you, grew, like you threw extra fins and like a beefier top part on the Slave 1, but you still have that weird, like... I, I don't even know how to d- describe that weird, like, down-facing sort of thing that the Slave 1 does, but... Yeah, and uh, Archangel lands similar to Slave 1, too, right? Where it basically lands, like, on its back and then, like, mm-hmm. not stands up, but, like, repositions in a way of, like, 90 degrees. Um, I've always thought that was a really interesting... I've always been really curious how that works, like, takeoff and landing-wise. <laughs> but it's... I've always kind of wondered the same thing, but then I'm like, oh, but... It oh, it's so visually cool. amazing. I had a Slave 1 toy as a kid, and I spent a lot of time, like peering inside being like how reveal to me your secrets cheap hasbro plastic <laughs> i'm not sure what else to say about afra to be honestly honest. i don't have much more afra i mean she was one of my first recommendations i think she was on the mandalorian episode she is i, I am a bigger fan of the disney star wars than i know a lot of people are one of the reasons for that is because Marvel has been doing such good things with Star Wars, and she is the high point of Marvel Star Wars run. I think of the new or the old Marvel Star Wars run, and there's some really good comics by really good creators in both of those eras. Uh, I mean, for me, my high point she contributes to because my high point is all the new Vader information we're getting and the Vader stories. So yeah, that's that series was really fun because. When you see Vader in New Hope, he is not the number two guy in the Empire. Uh, mm. Tarkin basically is. I mean, he's really powerful, but he's not necessarily quite the same way he's the right-hand man as he is in Empire Strikes Back. And Gillen's run of Darth Vader was to explain why that that power shift happened even after he failed to stop the Death Star from being destroyed. Part of that... Right, because he gets... He gets busted down even more for a little bit before he manages to work his way back And up. then, through the theme of this episode, thanks to murder, he gets better. Murder. murder. But we get such fun side characters beyond even just Dr. Afra. She's just at the high point of it. But we get a Mon Calamari that's been upgraded in the same way General Grievous was. Uh, except newer yeah, upgrades. So, like, a better General Grievous, but with the head of Admiral Akbar. Or we Mm -hmm. get, like, basically a Sherlock Holmes-style detective, including, like, a monocle that is hanging out and working with Vader. And, spoiler for a comic that happened, like, three years ago, he dies at the end. But only because he was too good and Vader, or he figured out all of Vader's secrets. And Vader's like, well, can't have that. I like seeing these these mid-level characters. They're not the headliners of the movies. They're not the number two man, the number one man in the Empire. They're not the hero of the Rebellion. But they're still insanely good and dangerous and capable. And I think Aphra's the best of the best of those characters. I mean, they're they're getting to canonize some of these stories that are all just these 
these hopes and dreams that we had when we were like playing as kids on the playground, making up shit where we were just in Star Wars for that half hour while we were outside. Well, um, and and it and Afra's kind of like the darker, morally gray version of that. <laughs> yeah, Afra's not a good person. Like we really need to drive that home. And the expanded universe from before the Disney buyout had these characters that we had that those of us that read these books and comics and video games and whatever had really come to love. Uh, we've mentioned Dash Rendar on the show before, and he's not as deep, but he was a lot of fun, and there's, like, I have some real affection for him. I'm a big fan of Corn. Corn Horn is a better example, thank you. Uh, in my case, Uliquel Drama or Exar Kun or any of the, like, or Darth Revan's another good one. These characters that weren't in the movies but had helped grow and make such and make the Star Wars universe such a the wonderful place that it is. Afra is the most successful of those of the modern age. Star Wars doesn't have to be, you know, just the movies. And like there's the TV shows now too, but like the the books and the comics and stuff all have value and Dr. Afra is probably the most valuable thing they have out of those. Basically, if you're sleeping on the comics, you're missing out. Yeah, get moving. They've announced the creative team for the new Dr. Afro, which, as I said, takes place after Empire Strikes Back. And I was not sure if we were going to see her, so this is fun. Uh, be written by Alyssa Wong with art by Marika Cresta, which is okay. exciting because, one, Alyssa Wong has been getting a lot of... She's been getting some press as a rising comic book writer. Um, I want to say she did one of the Conan spinoffs, I think Belit, but I could be wrong on that. Um, and it's just cool to see an all-female creative team for this amazing female character that's being done. Because, as we've said, representation matters, and it matters in front of and behind the scenes. And I, mm -hmm. I really like supporting women creators in mainstream comics because we were so bad about that for so long. And, like... It's not why I'm excited for the book, but it's a cherry on top of why I'm excited for the book. I agree. And it's just, uh, I mean, we've, we noticed the difference a lot over, over on fried squirms, uh, like how, how different it is when, when it's a female creator handling some female characters. And usually it's a noticeable difference in how they're portrayed. Not saying that a man can't write a woman, but there's a lived in experience that, that that can't be had without you know yeah we talked living. about it in the dresden uh, so, files episode i think there's a a reddit i mm -hmm. think of men writing women and like most mm -hmm. people are not bad enough to get on the men white writing women reddit list but when it goes bad it goes right really bad and i feel like it would be easy to go really bad with dr afra because she's a scoundrel who doesn't hide her sexuality. Yeah, she's a lesbian she's scoundrel pretty good looking. who is attractive and flirts with the woman that's trying to hunt her down. It would be so, so easy to turn that into like a Vampirella bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. But when you don't, it's awesome. Uh, and I, I look forward to continuing to read it. I need to get it all caught up. Um, this has kind of lit a fire under me. I'm going to definitely continue to read at least the next couple trades before I pick something. Oh, else yeah. Up, so. um, I'm probably going to sit down and catch up a little bit. I was partway through the Screaming Citadel crossover, and this is a good time to finish that one off, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And so before we go into our other recommendations for the week, I would like to say that this is generally just a big blanket recommendation. Read shit with Dr. Yeah, Afro. this this entirely exists as a recommendation episode, basically. Um, <laughs> but we'll do other recommendations anyways. Uh, you have you have any fun recommendations here? Uh, yeah, so I think for this week, my recommendation will be the novel Anno Dracula by Kim Newman. Oh, I've heard of it, but I've not read it. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It is, it's written as an alternate history to the, an alternate history sequel to Dracula, where Dracula won. Oh, okay. That makes sense with the name. Yeah. Uh, it's the first in at least a trilogy. I think it might be a quadrilogy by now. I'm not positive on that. Uh, but one of the other really interesting things that Kim Newman does, I think I've, I'd never read any other Kim Newman, uh, before or after these Anno Dracula books, but, uh, one of the things he's famous for is the world Newman and doing things where, uh, basically in Anno Dracula, every named character is pulled from a different piece. Oh, of this is part of the Wold Newton universe. Okay, I've I've never read yeah. any of those, but I've uh, I've been reading about the concept for years. Uh, real quick, explain what the Wold Newton universe is. Uh, I don't know if okay. I can. <laughs> Basically, all I know is that like this book jumped out at me because I was like, oh shit! Like I started reading it and like I love Dracula to begin with, and I'm like, okay, something. This is cool. Like, what if Dracula wins? I'm like, oh, Jack the Ripper is actually Dr. Jack Seward, who's killing vampire prostitutes with a silver knife. Basically, Wold... But then... Oh, keep... Yeah, you, you explain Wold it. Wold Newton, as I understand it, is um, a, a universe, and a couple of books were written in it that, like, all fictional characters are taking place in the same universe. So, like, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, Frankenstein... Uh, some go even farther and add like Star Trek in the future all mm -hmm. take place in the same world it's like these days if it were movies we'd call it a cinematic universe but using you know Doc Savage Man of Bronze and The Shadow and Dracula as said right and this Dracula definitely does that uh, beyond the normal characters from Dracula uh, you get things like Varney the Vampire showing up Prince, uh, oh God, I'm going to fuck his name up. Prince Mamawalde is mentioned, who was uh, Blackula in the 70s Blackula <laughs> film. Um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde show up. Or Mr. Hyde, I don't think does. The doc does, for sure. Uh, At one point, somebody, if, if you're paying attention to what's being said, it's a really, really oblique reference, but they're mentioning that uh, an American has made big strides with silver bullets and it's a reference to the Lone Ranger. Yeah, it is. Marvel I th had already done this. DC had already done this, but this was never really been done with literary characters in the same way before. I've never got a chance to read much of the original ones. I've always wanted to, but they're out of print. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was a, was majorly influenced by a lot of this style of like the Walt Newton universe. When was, uh, when was Anno Dracula written? Do you know? Uh, give me a second and I'll tell you. Uh, 92. Okay. So that is later than the... Because the original stories, I believe, came out in like the 70s. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this is this is quite a bit later. Oh, I also think I'm mixing stuff up. I, this is Newman. I said Newton, but it's the same kind of. <laughs> sorry, it, it's the same kind of concept of using a lot of the the same characters, a lot of the same. Let, let's have a united fictional universe. Well, and including him reusing his own characters, uh, Kim Newman also wrote for the Black Library under a pseudonym, and I can't remember what that was, but he actually uh, ports over one of his Warhammer characters. Yeah, I'm, I loaded up the Wikipedia. I'm looking up Fu Manchu's in here. Dor- mm-hmm. People from Dorian Gray are in here. Minecraft Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. This is... The, the thing I was talking about, this is not part of that. But the concept is the same. But it's same. similar. So yeah. either way, it's still cool. Um, wow. Uh, this I've is... read it a few times. It's super interesting, especially if you can already catch the literary references. And it's also one of those books that's a good place to jump off reading other things because it can give you a lot of good ideas from all the references that it does make. So. I would not have gotten a lot of these references. Holy shit. This is just so long. <laughs> anyway that's awesome okay uh any other recommendations nah that's gonna be it all right that, that's kind of like a whole lot of recommendations in one <laughs> like i said you can branch off from there so uh yeah i think i only have the one recommendation this week it is going to tie in to star wars still it's a star wars book but it's uh it's a star wars comic but from the dark horse era and it was i believe one of the later dark horse books it's called a uh, star wars agent of the empire it is about a man named Johan Cross, Johan Cross, J A H A N, who is basically okay. what if James Bond worked for the Empire? Oh. He and I might have done this recommendation before. I I know I've at least thought about it. So if this is a new recommend or not a new recommendation, I apologize. Obviously, I think this is good. It takes place before New Hope. He is a secret agent for the Empire. He totally James Bonds it up. He is uh, more than willing to, you know, kill if killing is needed. But he generally Mm -hmm. thinks the Empire is a good thing and he fights for the Empire. And it only ever got two volumes. So, you know, like maybe 12 issues. And he was getting more and more disillusioned with the Empire as he kind of realized is starting to realize that maybe they're not so good. So I, I got the sense that if it had ever gone farther, there's a good chance he would have eventually defected Made the switch yeah the rebellion like leia's in one of these but this is before new hope so she's uh younger i think this would have been around the era that in the disney world rebels was taking place so like five-ish years before new hope okay uh like one of the volumes takes place on alderaan he's but in a similar way of afra he grew up during the clone wars he saw the corruption of the Republic. He thinks the Empire is a good thing because the Empire brings order. Again, I do not agree with that. Don't go for fascism just because the trains run on time. But I at least understand where it's coming from. And it was fun to watch this character start to realize that, oh no, this might be bad. Uh, hold on, I'm holding it in front of me and I'm going to look up who... I know who wrote it, but the... It was written by John Ostrander. John Ostrander created the Suicide Squad, and you and I have talked about Grimjack a couple of times. Yep. Ostrander wrote Grimjack, working with Timothy Truman, and it was drawn by 
Uh, oh god, I never know if that's Stefan or Stephanie. S T E with the little thing above it, P H A N E, and then yeah, I don't know. Stefan Pretty. I cannot pronounce these names. I am sorry. I am extremely white. <laughs> um, it's good. It's fun. It, it like Doctor Aphra. It brings in an area of Star Wars that we've gotten hints of, but we haven't necessarily gotten to enjoy in the same way. Oh yeah, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I think that's all I got for recommendations. Do we have anything else to talk about, or do we want to uh, tell people the interesting ways that they can contact us? Well, there are plenty of interesting ways that they can contact us. The first thing that people should do, though, is hit subscribe, however they're listening to us right now, so that next week they can hear us talk about Guards Guards. Oh, right, yeah, we're going uh, We're going Discworld. That's right. Get it, uh, so take a trip happy. to the disc. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, if you hit subscribe, you'll get that right away. Um, if there's a wait for you, a way for you to rate and review us, however you're listening to us right now, we would greatly appreciate if you do that. The entire world is now ran on algorithms, and that just helps get us in there so that it gets the word of the show out. Obviously, we appreciate it when you tell your family and friends, so please do that as well. But, like, algorithms, you know. Yeah. You're, uh, you're listening to a podcast. You, you get it. You understand algorithms. <laughs> You, you can also reach out to us. You can uh, email us at generalnerdcast at gmail.com. There's also Facebook, Twitter, all sorts of ways of contacting us. We really do love hearing from you. Um, I actually, right before we started recording, I got the nicest, like one of the nicest things that's, that's happened to me lately. Uh, Will, who was on last week, sent me a text. Uh, he had just listened to our Red Dwarf episode and was like, I, I really loved hearing about this. I want to, like, where can I find Red Dwarf? And that made me so happy that, like, not just that, you know, people are listening. And, yeah, he's my buddy. Uh, mm -hmm. But that people were taking our recommendations and trying stuff. So if you listen to one of our recommendations and read Agents of the Empire or Anno Dracula or Dr. Afra, tell us what you think about it. It was so satisfying to hear someone go, hey, you recommended this and I'm on board. I really want to try it now. That's that just, it made me feel good. Yeah, that would be super cool. Uh, you can always head over to generalnerdcast.com and check out all of our past episodes, as well as hit us up through the website. If you don't want to try to remember our email, uh, while you're over at the website, you'll notice that we're part of the earworm podcast network. You can follow the links up at the top to go check out all the other shows including other shows that we're involved in. I've already mentioned it on this podcast, but you can hear me talk about uh, horror movies over on Fried Squirms. You can hear Zach talk about wargaming and the way it relates to old pieces of literature that were written about war over on The Art of Wargaming. Yeah, uh, actually, the next one might as well be a crossover episode. We're doing a quick one-off episode on Klingons, and then we're going over to Frederick the Great. So, ooh. Who knows what you're going to get on that one? That that episode or that show goes all over the board. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that sounds like it could be fun. I just had an idea for a potential crossover for the future, but we're not going to talk about that on the show right now because I want. No, we'll talk about surprised. that later. Um, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.